the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Sports fans, there's absolutely no better place to get all your breaking news, live commentary, and sports stories than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite leagues and teams, and get ad-free content every single hour of every single day. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track right now for 40% off your first year subscription. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. We are also presented by Balanced Bridge Funding, financially investments and safe solutions for professional athletes. Since 2015, Balanced Bridge has all the professionals who understand everything in this industry and are ready to customize a repayment plan catered to your client's situation. Borrow smartly and cost effectively and avoid all those fees. And there's not even a fee if you pay it back early, which is many of these athletes are doing these days. Whether your client is under contract and simply needs a bridge against future guarantees or a free agent looking for the next contract, let Balanced Bridge get a look, provide a solution and be a resource for you and your client today. Visit balancedbridge.com. Happy Wednesday. My name is Mike Gennetti. Two guests show. Less of me, more of other people talking. I love these kind of days, and I love these guests. First, from Sportico, the sports valuations creator, producer, publisher, Kurt Bodenhausen. He's great and uh, has been. I've been following him since his days at Forbes. I didn't realize he's been doing this kind of work specifically for more than 20 years. But we get into his past, his career a little bit, and into these numbers. He's just recently published the 2021 NFL valuations. Shocker, spoiler, they're up. <laughs> and uh, he explains why. He explains why some of these teams are way up. Um, how is gambling involved? How is stadium building involved? The pandemic situation, the upcoming TV contracts, how did it all get factored in from a formula stamp- standpoint? And why are these numbers as they are? Kurt's great. He's at the front end of the show. And on the back end, our buddy Keith Smith wrote a piece on the 2018 draft class and players eligible for rookie extensions over the next month. We're going to see a lot of big dollars handed out to some of these guys. Some already have. I think there's three max contracts already dished out. I believe we have two more. Keith is breaking down every single player. Will he? Won't he? How much? Will he not? Is he out of the league already? Keith and Scott kind of break down the NBA side of things from that perspective. So great show. Happy to have both these guests on. And let's get going. All right. I've been following his work since his days at Forbes. He's now the sports valuations reporter for our friends at Sportico, Kurt Bodenhausen. Thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me on, Mike. You bet. I appreciate your work. Look, uh, how'd you get here? What was your career kind of run up to this point? Has it always been sports? Uh, I spent most of my time at sports. I I graduated from college a million years ago uh, (laughs) from Colgate uh, in upstate New York. And, uh, I worked at NBC Sports right out of school, doing some production assistant stuff, and then uh, ended up at Financial World, uh, which was a financial publication that competed with Business Week and Fortune and Forbes, um, but was a bit smaller. Um, And so um, it was a great learning platform in terms of learning uh, journalism, as well as Wall Street and finance and all that kind of stuff, reading a balance sheet and income statement. And and we started... um, actually team valuations back then uh, my longtime colleague and friend Mike Ozanian um, back in financial world and then uh, the, the two of us started doing it at Forbes back in 1998 and, um, and we grew the sports platform at Forbes for many years 
Um, and then I jumped ship to uh, the Sportico crew in March. Um, w- was really impressed with everything that uh, Scott and Eben and Mike McCann and the rest of the crew were doing, and um, you know thought it was a good fit for me. So it's been a it's been a fun uh, ride and a great uh, great group of journalists. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I, I do a lot of uh, communication with the crew over there, so it's a, it was a good fit for you. I, the second I saw it happen, I totally got it. And look, I, I didn't realize 20-plus years, really, with sports valuations then. Um, I've noticed quite a big change in terms of the numbers you posted at Forbes versus the numbers you're posting at Sportico. Is there a change in the formula? Is there is there adjustments that have been made? Are you adding kind of... Or is it just that the economy has grown, gambling is here, and there's just more to get involved now? Yeah, I, I, I think all, all of those things, really, all the above. Uh, Sportico's approach is a little different in that we, we're trying to capture the value of the entire entity. Uh, the, these Increasingly, these owners are using teams as a tentpole item, and it's allowing them to touch so many different aspects, uh, whether, whether it's a real estate play or investing in startups, uh, media companies, hospitality companies, um, you know, teams are getting gambling license now trying to figure out how to build out that business. Uh, so what we're really trying to do is, um, is capture the entire value, uh, because when these things are bought and sold, often it's the whole package that's going, not always the case. We saw the New York Mets sell SNY stay with the will ponds. Um, and then Steve Cohen bought just the team itself. Uh, but but often you, you see everything packaged together, uh, and, and that's how you're able to get the, the biggest price uh, when these teams do sell, which is not very often, for, particularly for uh, when you talk about the NFL uh, and, and even the NBA. The business is so good um, with the new CBAs and the media deals. Uh, that the control stakes are, are so rare now uh, where they're sold. Uh, so, so it's a little tricky to value, uh, particularly the NFL, uh, just because teams just aren't bought and sold because business is so good. Nobody wants to get out. Yeah, I can get that. Look, so you've, you posted your most recent 2021 valuations for the NFL about a week ago now. So I've had some time to digest this. I want to stick with the gambling just a little bit, if you don't mind. It's probably a little too new to really have a huge impact. Like you said, teams are sort of getting themselves in order, making those partnerships, building the infrastructures within the stadiums to allow fans to do it right there versus the online. But but that latter point is is how I want to bring this conversation in. There's a, there's a handful of states only that allow for online gambling right now in terms of mobile and whatnot. Are you already seeing the impact with those franchises and their bump ups, or is it actually just state statewide only and the, and the teams themselves aren't really seeing that bump? Oh, teams are seeing it. Absolutely. Uh, but, but it's so early. I mean, for all of them, it's so early. They're, they're not seeing their full revenue potential, but you better believe it's built into every one of their revenue models looking out. And listen, anybody buying an NFL team is taking a long time horizon. The average ownership tenure is 40 years in the NFL uh, with the current crop of owners. So nobody's buying one of these things, uh, looking at it over the next three, five years. I mean, they're taking 10, 20 year time horizons. And at that point, the idea is that gambling is going to be an integral part of just about every sporting event in every state. Uh, so, so some of them have a head start, absolutely, and it, it, it really is allowing them to do significant sponsorship deals 
again, take, you know, take a cut of the action. The NFL reviews each of these deals, uh, gambling partnerships that goes through on the local level uh, and needs to sign off in terms of how everything's happening in terms of, you know, how the split's happening or you get on a cut of the handle, you know, what it all looks like. Uh, The NFL was very uh, slowly (laughs) embraced gambling uh, with Roger Goodell, you know, saying the NFL wouldn't be a part of it uh, as recently as three, four years ago. Um, So we, you know, we factor that into the valuations, uh, but they're all going to benefit from it at the end of the day, uh, because there's uh, the, the, the on the local level, gambling revenue has tripled uh, over the last three years, now a nine uh, figure business for the NFL teams. And then on the national level, it's also, you know, hundred million dollar plus business. But I mean, I, you know, so uh, from a sponsorship standpoint, but that's small potatoes in the grand scheme of the NFL. I mean, seventeen billion dollar business, uh, but that will grow exponentially over the next five years. But the real win for the NFL is ultimately uh, with content. Uh, it's 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 making that content even stickier. It's already sorry, the viewership is already crazy high, uh, but you're going to keep people in watching longer more games um it's that's really the advantage i mean gambling and fantasy football are already the reason why you can put on a junk thursday night football game and people will still tune in until the bitter end um and and as you increase gambling opportunities uh it only increases that stickiness faster factor and and so that's I, i think the you know the research and, you know, uh, the early data is that that's where the NFL can make billions more um, through through the content. Yeah, there's no question about that. It's all about the television show, right? Um, yeah. So, so let me go completely against that <laughs> and talk about more about the in-stadium experience. What about the actual stadium itself? We've got a couple of teams who are, you know, certainly being rumored to, ha- are being forced into new stadium discussions. The Buffalo Bills being the, the front runner here and, and, Look, according to your numbers, they're valuing at about $2.5 billion, and they're projecting to build a stadium that costs about half that. Does it have any impact or, or does the economy around it have to have to build up with it in order for that impact to be felt to the Buffalo Bills? Is it really just cash out before it can be cash back in? Uh, yeah, it's a gr- the, the Bills are a great, uh, interesting case in, in terms of what a new stadium would look like. Uh, this is this is a different situation than the Rams. Right. Uh, this isn't, you know, it makes zero economic sense uh, in upstate New York to go spend five billion dollars on a stadium. Uh, you are not going to capture that money back. Uh, and, and so these deals are getting very expensive um, to build these things. And so, you know, in the case of Buffalo, the bills aren't going to build a new stadium and suddenly be a top 10 franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the revenue opportunity is not there uh, in terms of how much money you can uh, generate from your stadium. Uh, it, 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 it isn't supported. You know, you're not going to be able to support $500,000 luxury suites lining the stadium uh, in Western New York. Um but it's it's a key, it's a keeping up with the Joneses type thing. I mean, and literally, literally it's Jerry Jones. Um, 
I got sorry, I got a train coming by okay. my house. <laughs> um, and so everybody needs a new building um, at, at some point um, because because you do have to keep up with the other teams uh, from from a financial model right. uh, because the salary cap is set on what league wide revenues look like. So if you're, you know, as your revenues drop further and further behind the average, um, it, it, you know, it makes it trickier to keep up. That said, every team makes a ton of money in the NFL because, uh, you know, in 2023, every single team's going to get a $400 million check uh, from the NFL from sponsorships and media deals before, you know, so that's before you sell a hot dog or beer or, um, sponsorship at your stadium um so the bills are a profitable franchise uh building a new stadium you know is, is a twofold proposition definitely is going to generate more revenue for the franchise and is going to increase uh the value of the franchise ultimately uh and you know the question is it always comes down to who's going to pay for it yeah um, you know, and, and it, it's, the economics are, are tricky, um, uh, and it's, it's tough to, for the bills to pay, you know, the Pagoulas can afford it. Uh, but, but it, it's a lot to ask them to pay the full freight, you know, pay a hundred percent, uh, in, in a situation like Buffalo, I think some sort of public private partnership, uh, is, is the probably strongest end game um but it's a balance of who how much everybody's going to pay yeah so uh, this, I, I, is, this isn't this isn't la where you right know, you know you tell stan Kroenke, we're not giving you a dime pick it up you're building your colossal real estate development um you know the, there's no you're, you're not getting you know it was clear there was no public money available there <laughs> um buffalo it's the the proposition you know it it you can produce a better fan experience. You can produce uh, more revenue with a new building. Right. Um, but, but asking them to pay a hundred percent is, is a lot, but I think the Pagoulas could afford it, uh, if it, if it came down to it. But it's never going to be a case where even the, the smallest franchise in the league builds something that kind of puts them in the red, right? It, it's all going to be good with the, with this league specifically. Right. I, I just wonder where we're going with the, in, with the in-game experience. You know, you're, you're right. It's about content. It's about television. It's about streaming. It's about gambling and fantasy. That's becoming more and more in focus every year. Is the, is the brick and mortar side of this ever going to slip to a point where teams consider really pulling back on that kind of stuff? I, I, I don't think so. I mean, the in-game experience, while there's so much money generated from uh, the sponsorships, from the media, I think in-game experience for every sports franchise is still top of mind. Hmm. I mean, you, you, it is still critically important. Uh, and we saw it last year. Um, because, I mean, it's not the same experience uh, playing before an empty stadium. Hmm. Uh, it's not the same TV experience. Um, you know, it's, it, it, and, and, and that engagement factor, again, you have a very small percentage of your audience uh, that is ever going to be inside the stadium, but it is a core group of fans that is absolutely critical. Um, and these are the people that are most engaged with your product and your brand. Um, so I, I think 
uh, NFL owner, you know, NFL owners are sitting in a nice position because they only have to make, you know, eight, nine home games in event. Uh, so each one can be an event and attract a full stadium in almost all cases across the NFL. Uh, Major League Baseball attracting people to 81 games a year, uh, particularly if you're a bad franchise, is really hard. Yeah. Um, uh, the the NFL, uh, be, by the nature, you know, once a week, uh, again, it's only eight or nine times. Uh, and even if your team's not that good, you, you know, you want to go support them. And you want to go see those other teams. I mean, when the Cowboys come to town or the Steelers come to town, I mean, they're huge draws. Um, so I don't think the stadium experience is going away anytime soon. Uh, I, I think teams are even seeing, they're seeing new opportunities, uh, whether it's gambling or how you incorporate sponsorships or club areas. Uh, they're, they're seeing, uh, new ways that stadiums can be built and, and to make them uh, even more engaging for the fan and even a better live experience. Uh, they're trying to make it as seamless as possible, you know, to, to have, you know, ways into the stadium where, you know, you're stuck in traffic forever and parking's a pain and getting in the stadium's a pain uh, and ticketing process is a pain and getting concessions is difficult. They want to make, they want to take out all of those impediments as much as much as humanly you can, uh, so that that process from your house to your seat is as seamless as possible. And when you get to your seat, you know you can swing by and uh, you know swing by your locker and pick up a beer or uh, a hot dog, you know whatever, just just to make it as smooth as you can. Uh, the process can be. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. Let's talk about this year's valuation specifically. What jumped out? You know, which teams maybe leaped the most, dropped the most? Just to kind of give us a quick synopsis. Yeah, I think what what stood out really is is some of the big gains at the teams at the bottom. Um, and uh, for forever, we went well, forever when we're doing this. I feel like for twenty plus years, we've seen a a real divide. Um, a bifurcation between the top and the bottom uh, where those big market teams are just cranking up in value uh, because, because there's so much money in those markets. And so if there were to come up for sale, uh, there would be a huge premium paid on them. And we, we've seen it with you know, going back to when the Dodgers were sold and then uh, the Clippers were sold for, to see bomber what Joe Sy paid for the nets, uh, you know, huge premiums uh, to maybe what their revenue could justify, but but they wanted to be in those markets. Uh, the NFL is a little different. Uh, it's not as market driven as you will see in the N- uh, NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL uh, because of that big media deal that they have. Uh, so so there was a little bit. You know, you have a handful of teams in attractive markets that separate themselves, but there's almost a compression in values to some degree uh, because everybody's getting that same, you know, they'll get their same $340 million check this year. Uh, and, and so there, there's, there's an idea that there's really a entry, uh, a entry price into the NFL, uh, which we have Cincinnati Bengals last. So 2.4, $2.5 billion. And then you have a big group of teams that are, that are between that and, you know, three and a half billion dollars. Um, and then a handful of teams that have separated themselves. And so the idea is that 
uh, we saw the lower value teams after they did the new media deals uh, really jump in value a lot uh, because that media deal is so much more important to them in terms of their overall revenue picture. For So for a team like the Cowboys or Patriots, you know, they both generate so much in terms of local revenue that, that the new media deal is does not have a big impact for them as uh, those teams at the bottom. Denver, Arizona, Tennessee, huge jumps, 20 plus you know, percent changes from 2020 to 2021. Any explanation or just kind of the nature of, you know, the animal of the business sometimes? Yeah, I, well, Arizona uh, and Tennessee are both two teams at the bottom. Um, and, and so, again, the new media deals for them is very important. And while, while, they, while they're uh, one year in, and the reason their one year increase really is a bit more than uh, some of those other markets at the bottom is just because of how attractive those markets are uh, deemed right now. They're both really growing markets, Phoenix, Nashville. Uh, and, and the idea is that if they were up for sale, you know, we talking to a lot of bankers, like that would be a very attractive market, both of them, uh, be, because the, the outlook in both markets over the next 10, 20 years is so strong. And, and the Broncos really is just, uh, there's so much interest swirling around the team right now, uh, just because it almost certainly will be the most next NFL team that is sold. Uh, that you've got the, the bidders are circling right now to uh, make a run at the team with the expectation that's going to be on the market um, at, at, in the beginning of 2022. So uh, that that's a function of uh, so many bidders looking at the team. And, you know, you, you're going to see the same thing probably in Seattle uh, over the next 12, 24 months, because uh, there's a decent chance that's going to go up for sale finally uh, as Paul Allen's estate gets worked out. Um, and Seattle, like Denver, is a super attractive franchise, a really strong market, a really strong brand in the market, a lot of money in both markets. Um, so I, I, I think we value the Broncos $3.8 billion. Um, that's probably the floor for what the team will sell for. Kurt, I geek out on this stuff, man. I appreciate your work every single year. I know it's got to be a lot for you. There's a lot of numbers. There's a lot of math. It's it's early for math, but I really appreciate your time this morning. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, I appreciate you. I love I love what you guys are doing. You build a great brand, and uh, it's a great resource. One one we use a lot at Sportico, and uh, it's it's a terrific uh, wealth of knowledge, and uh, helps me learn a lot. So I appreciate uh, what you guys have put together. Thanks so much for your time. Let's do this again. All right. Sounds good. Be well, Mike. All right. That's Kurt Bodenhausen from Sportico. Absolutely love the numbers. I love the extra work that they've done with this since the transfer to Sportico. It's more, it's less about what they've done, more about what they're going to be doing. That's why that last discussion about teams that are going to be up for sale here in the next couple of months have gotten the bump because that's what happens, right? You get in, interest. There's teams that become in play just like any product you know when the ps6 comes out and there's swirling rumors about what could be involved in the ps6 or the iphone 13 it's interest jumps it's demand jumps and it's price will jump that's what happens with the nfl teams because it's that solid that stable that consistent number of products so denver's going to get sold for four billion dollars there's no question about it they're valuing it at 3.8 billion if you've got a, a bunch of buyers and i already heard that there's three or four good groups being formed right now for it. That's going to get to $4 billion. And that's not what we consider a huge market team. 
So it's good news for the NFL. It's always good news for the NFL, right? Cash in, cash to everybody. Like Kurt said, there's 400 million coming just for no reason in 2023 from that TV money. Every owner is going to get it in the pocket at the start of the 2023 season because of this new TV contract. That's why we're talking about the cap jump. That's why we're talking about the health of this league. The league grew 14% by average. The franchise valuations grew 14% in a year where there were no fans, where there was limited revenue, no gate, no concessions, no parking. The cap dropped 20%. Franchise valuations increased 14 That's why I'm so ticked off about it. <laughs> All right. Thanks again to Kurt Badenhaus. He's at Keith Smith MBA on Twitter. He's an excellent follow. And he's right. Great pieces like this one. The yes, he is. 2018 rookie scale extension predictions. So Keith ran through the gamut, all 30 picks. Who's going to get new money? Who's not going to get new money? Who's not even in the league anymore? Always good to see those kind of things. Keith, welcome back to the show. Nice job on this piece. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you you all of a sudden realize there's more first round misses than you think when you start looking at who's extension eligible. All right, let's get it out of the way first because it's the only story anybody cares about in the NBA right now. Which one of these players is going to be traded for Ben Simmons, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Um, if we go down the list, uh, may, maybe uh, Anthony Simons because he's on the Trailblazers. Maybe, maybe they're the team that makes that, that Ben Simmons trade. But, yeah, it, it's funny. We're sitting here exactly as we record this two weeks from the day training camps open, and that's still uh, hanging over the heads of, of everyone there and it's i was talking to some people in the league the other day and everybody's like i can't believe it's not done yet i can't either it's gonna get more ugly as we get there right it's is colin sexton an option is he a sign and trade option here he, he well he wouldn't be a sign and trade necessarily they would just trade him and then the philly would extend him i see um it, it is what they would do but but yeah i think that one is an option because i think cleveland is really like pushing hard to to get Ben Simmons and yeah. it's starting to look like there's not this uh, Damian Lillard package coming that Simmons would be the headliner of or anything like that. So uh, I, th I think we could see something like that. And I think if you're Cleveland, that's a pretty good gamble to make because you're not a free agent market. You're not going to collect, you know, a guy like him in free agency or anything like that. So might as well trade for him while he's under contract long term and see if he can make it work. Yeah, that one kind of sticks out to me as well. Scott, I know you've got some data here. Uh, you know, before we run through this two, two, 2018 list and kind of say yes or no to a lot of these players and new money, how frequent is it? About 22% of the first rounders get extensions of some sort. Okay. And, and what about maxes? It's got to be about two, uh, three a year, right? Yeah. Yeah. About that. If even that, in some cases there haven't been maxes, but you know, we've seen more maxes happening of late than there were, you know, six, seven years ago. Keith, is that because everybody's tradable now? That's just the league that it is. I think there's some something to to be said there. I think it's uh, very rare that we see these guys change teams as restricted free agents. So I think you're starting to see teams look at it and say, well, you know, we want to keep the guy, so let's get it done. I think what we're starting to see is players look at it and say, yeah, that's fine. I'll take the money, and then in two years, I'll just ask for a trade, and and that's that's how it works. So it, it is interesting. I think it's um becomes one of those things where team situation heavily uh, 
plays into this as well. So if you're a team like Phoenix, for example, who still has a couple pending guys out here, you're going to be over the cap no matter what. So there's no real reason I'm waiting to sign the extension with a guy like DeAndre Ayton as long as you're comfortable with the number and you feel good about his talent level. Uh, you, you might as well get it done. And then you're going to have a handful of teams uh, most years that are going to look at it and say, you know what, we'll wait. We will sign the guy in free agency because we can use his relatively small cap hold. Now the last CBA rectified those cap holds a little bit and made them enough bigger that it's not necessarily worth just sitting on them. But, but we still see that happen on occasion because the team wants to use cap space first. We're looking at, I mean, we've already got three maxes out of this list. We've got Luca, we've got Trey, we've got SGA and OKC. Aiton's a sure bet max, right? It should be, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's a sense out there that you don't pay for centers anymore, but when you've got one as good as him who is as important to your team as he is, uh, I think he's he, he ought to be the guy who's definitely getting a max. So uh, I'd say four maxes in, in a draft class makes it a pretty darn good draft class. Is there even a fifth here, though? Is Michael, uh, Michael Porter, Porter Jr., Jr. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, he he's certainly in the realm. Now, I, I wrote in the piece I wrote for the site that I think they should take the Jalen Brown approach where it's it's not a max, but there's enough um, incentives in there that could push it to a max. They The Nuggets actually have a history of doing that. That's how they did Nikola Jokic's max contract. Um, now, he was not a rookie-scale extension. That was in free agency when he was a restricted free agent, um, and it, so technically not even an extension. It was a new deal, but they that's how they handled him was he started just below the max and then they pushed him up and then Jamal Murray got a straight max. So the challenge I think for the Nuggets is you have to look at it and say, are we going to be good enough to have three max players plus other high price guys that are north of 12, 13 million that we really feel comfortable investing a full max in him? Or is one of these guys at least movable, not Jokic, because clearly that's not happening. But is one of these other guys movable if we need to, to kind of rebalance our books? But but MPJ, he's, he's, he's probably going to push being a – I don't know that it'll ever be a 50, 40, 90 guy, but at six foot 10, pretty decent rebounder starting to figure some stuff out defensively. He's going to be a 50, 40, 80 guy at about 25 points per game. Maybe is his ceiling. And I think that's, that's a, uh, you know, pretty huge. So it wouldn't surprise me if he gets a, if he's the fifth max player of this class. Yeah, that, that that's super interesting because some of this data, I look back at some of these extensions previous to this year and some of the guys that have signed extensions that are have signed second extensions were guys that didn't necessarily get maxes. You know, we're talking about C.J. McCollum, Stephen Adams, who has extended, extended and a couple times. You've got Giannis, Steph Curry, uh, you know, those guys ended up getting an extension, they didn't break the bank, but then they were able to extend again or, you know, hit again in free agency. Like Clay Thompson was a situation where it wasn't a, a, a true extension, but he made it all. He got the first extension, went to free agency. You know, it, there's something to be said, I think, with not offering some of these max contracts to at least allow some flexibility. Don't you think? 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think in like, like Luca, Trey Young, those guys are clear max guys. You're not going to fool around. There's that that gets you know not all you're doing there is antagonizing the player for no reason. So just get it done. Get those guys locked in. But yeah, if you're sitting there and you're on the borderline with a guy and you're like, ah, you know, boy, I'm not sure. Like one of my favorite cases in this draft class is Mikhail Bridges, the tenth pick. He's not a max guy, but where are you looking at paying him? And I think what has happened with the NBA is because they've changed the extension rules that's probably the thing that has evolved maybe the most other than the designated player our rules but those extension rules have really evolved over the last three four CBAs where now at at the two year anniversary for most types of signing your extension you're eligible to re-up with the guy again and I think if you're someone like Mikhail Bridges you feel a lot more comfortable taking 16 to 20 million a year in the first year and say, you know what, I'm going to keep improving. I'm going to be really good. And then two years from now, I'll sign another new deal that gets me north of 20 and I'll feel really good about that. So and that that's the other thing. And then the teams have to be balancing. All right. Is today's $15 million contract a $20 million or a $25 million contract four years from now with where the cap may go? Well, what does that look like? So those are all the balancing games that are happening across the league as you look at these young guys. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the number two pick here, Marvin Bagley, and the Kings as a whole. I, there's there's so much speculation with that franchise. You know, speaking of Ben Simmons, speaking of Darren Fox, speaking of many of those players, they they continue to continue to draft at every position, and we 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 like the players they bring in, but as a whole, collectively, it just can't seem to work. Is is Bagley a no extension candidate because of the team he's on, or he's just let's bet on ourselves kind of situation? Yeah, I think for him, well, let's start with the King side of it first. I'm not giving him anything more than 10 million a year, which is mid-level money because you just have no faith that he's one going to stay healthy and two that he's going to be worth a whole heck of a lot more than that and i think if you're bagley you're saying that's less than i make in my fourth year my rookie scale contract so i'm certainly not taking a uh first year starting salary that's that's less so i think if you're marvin bagley you're going to say no 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 extension i'll bet on myself that i'm going to stay healthy i'm finally going to put it all together now very odd roster construction in Sacramento yeah. where he's probably best at the five and they uh, went and signed a five traded for a five and re-signed a five. So that is a, and then they have two others that they gave guaranteed money to that they probably didn't need to. So he's probably somewhere uh, between fifth and sixth on the center depth chart, uh, which is not great. And then they have a two way guy that they really like at the five as well. So it, it's a very odd uh, setup in Sacramento. And I feel like that's, we could probably tape this and clip it and then play that again next year and the year after because it's just the way things go. But it's it's been for Bagley, he, he's got to bet on himself here that he's going to stay healthy, put it all together and have the big season. And then he can always get paid in restricted free agency next summer. I feel like the Kings and the Cavaliers are using the same roster construction manual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just big men, big men. Yeah. Any way possible. Let's get as many fives in here as possible and trade all of our point guards. Um, yeah. They found, found a manual from the 1950s and said, <laughs> put the tallest guys you can get on the court and put them on near the hoop and we'll win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyone else? I think the Bridges one is very interesting as well because he's one of those players that doesn't get generally as much um, respect and, and, and financial love as, you know, a lot of these other guys do, but he's absolutely crucial to a winning team. We've seen it over and over again. And this isn't new. This is a this is a long standing tradition with the NBA. 
Um, is there going to be a team, Keith, that probably swoops in at some point and overpays for a Miles Bridges if 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 Charlotte doesn't continue to do so? Yeah, there could be because he's kind of that bouncy combo forward guy that everybody likes and you you might even have a team that looks at it and says you know what we might be able be able to even get some small ball five minutes with him where right. we're we're super small but we're very switchable and we're fast and we can do all these things so i do think that there is a potential that happens it's weird because in charlotte he's just kind of caught up in a Again, uh, it, it's not a bad roster construction by any means because I think they built a really solid team out of what they had, especially considering where they were coming from kind of in cap jail uh, for so many years. But I, I think it's he's probably the guy who's on the outside looking in out of that starting five. They also have McDaniels, who they really like, who kind of overlaps with him positionally somewhat. So that starts to become a little bit messy. So I'm very curious to see what happens. He could be a guy who... If you're another team, you're betting on his upside more than anything else because I don't know that he's going to play truly enough this season to break out just because there's a lot of depth at the forward spot in Charlotte. Scott, what's the deadline for all this? I know there is a rookie extension deadline in the NBA, which is unique kind of to this sport specifically. What, when is that and uh, any thoughts? End of October. And my thoughts are we've got a month left. So we're going to start seeing some of these uh, extensions come through. I agree that if a team wants to make a trade for one of these players that they think maybe they want to extend, now's the time to do it because if they, they sign that extension, then there's a restriction restriction on that player and they can't be traded for a year. Is that correct, Keith? Uh, well, they can be, but what they'll be is they'll be poison pill restricted. Right. Um, so what happens with them is that that's where it gets really difficult to move them because they, their salary will count for the average of the extension years plus whatever their contract is this year. So unless you you're working with a team that has a pretty big exception, uh, which there there's a couple of those out there, but nothing like last year's Gordon Hayward trade exception exists. Or the other thing that ends up happening is you have to. Um, find a team with cap space that, that you can work it through. And that's at this point, that's Oklahoma city or bust. Uh, if that's the way they wanted to even go and get involved. So it makes it very hard to trade those poison pill restricted guys. So that's why, yeah, if it was going to be like Colin Sexton, for example, for Ben Simmons, you'd see that trade happen sometime. I would imagine within the next couple of weeks, uh, not only for the extension reasons, but for basketball reasons of let's have them at training camp and be able to move on from this, but also for the extension reasons, Reasons, then Philly's working with Sexton on a new extension and off they go. Let's get out of here on this. A couple of the contenders. We kind of talked about Phoenix. Uh, you know, none of the LA teams are really involved here in terms of major extensions, but Milwaukee and Denver are. We talked about Porter Jr. a little bit. I'm looking at the 2022 tax situation. You know, Denver does have about 22 million to work with. There, there's some wiggle room right there, but they also don't. <laughs> They don't make a lot of moves, Keith. They're, they've been static for really two off-seasons, and it doesn't seem like this off-season is going to be any different. So I would expect that they're just, just going to plan on keeping their own Porter Jr. Uh, you know, in terms of a max extension. What happens with Milwaukee, though? They're over this tax threshold next year already. You know, This would put them... A, a DiVincenzo extension would put them well over, especially at the price tag you have it predicted at, which is about $15 million a year. Um, what are you thinking in terms of this contract, that team... Are they going to push all in and not to worry too much about that tax bill? Or will there be some concessions here? 
Yeah, if I can go to Denver first, too, they're talking extension with Aaron Gordon as well. And there's not only is that even more expense to to their payroll, but Aaron Gordon is there's a lot of overlap with Michael Porter Jr. positionally there. There you can play them both together because they, they are both really forwards versus necessarily being a three or a four. Neither can really play the five. So that that's a little bit of a challenge, but you can figure that out. But yeah, Denver, I think is they're, they're going to go into uncharted territory here uh, tax wise next year, because I think what they're going to do is they're going to pay Porter jr. They're probably going to do what they can to resign Aaron Gordon. They have Will Barton next year on a $14.4 million contract. Monty Morris at 9 million. So that's a very expensive team. But I think what the nuggets are looking at is saying, Hey, by the time we get Jamal Murray back this year, probably sometime late in the regular season, maybe, maybe, maybe he misses the whole season, but if they get him back. I think they're looking at it and saying, why not us? We, we can be the team that comes out of the West and gets to the finals where, where every bit as good as, Phoenix is and and we can contend with these guys on the Milwaukee side they almost have to pay up for DiVincenzo because otherwise they don't have a good way to replace him now I realize that might sound a little silly because they didn't have him and just won the championship but they don't have PJ Tucker this year to slide into the starting five like they did when DiVincenzo went down they put Tucker in they didn't really miss a beat they they don't have that kind of guy now I think what they did was they brought in Grayson Allen uh, via trade who they're not going to extend is my guess, but that they'll have him in restricted free agency. So that way, if DiVincenzo doesn't extend and then it gets a little silly in the summer where the bucks are like, all right, we can't go to that number. Then I think, well, what you're going to see there is Allen becomes almost the backup plan of, all right, we'll, we'll resign Grayson Allen to probably what's going to be a much more team friendly kind of deal. Last one. Is any player on this list right now a candidate for turning down, rejecting an extension offer for whatever reason? I want to get the free agency. You know, I think I'm a max guy, whatever it is. Is, is, is it is it pretty much any offer is going to be taken here with these guys, Keith, at this point? Or do you think there's some flexibility for, with these players who want to have a little bit more control? The one guy that that I would say might be in that position is Kevin Herter mm. of the Atlanta Hawks because that Hawks team, we just talked about teams that are getting expensive. Well, that team's starting to get uh, really expensive too and will be very expensive next year. Next year, they're going to have uh, five players north of $18 million a season uh, led by Trey Young. Likely he's going to reach the the uh, incentive, uh, reach the qualifiers to make the the so-called uh, rookie supermax, which will bump him up to about thirty five point seven. You've got John Collins on the book. So I think Herder could look at this and say, all right, you know what? My qualifying offers 12.7 next year. I'm not going to take that. So I'm not going to go that direction. But if they start saying, yeah, you know, well, we, we don't want to go much more than 12 million a year, just starting salary, those kind of things. I think Carter looks at it and says, it's starting to get kind of crowded on the wing here in Atlanta with Bogdanovich and Hunter and Cam Reddish. And he may say, all right, let's go. Now on the flip side, he may look at it and say, you know what, let me lock that money in and get it right now. Because 
it doesn't project to be a lot of teams with cap space next summer either. So you may have a lot of situations where I think we're going to see sign-in trades become a big thing uh, next summer again, like they were about four or five years ago. And I think those are going to come back into play big time. And, and you might have a guy like Curter saying, all right, I'm going to get mine just maybe a little bit later than I thought. It may have to be via sign-in trade and go, because I know there's a lot of teams who really like him and liked him in Atlanta's run uh, last year in the playoffs. Okay. Let's finish on Simmons, Keith. Good stuff for you on that on that rookie extension list. I will tweet out that link as I've done before, but let's uh, bring it back around because we're only a couple of weeks out of this uh, the NBA season kind of kicking off here. I want to finish on this. The situation with Simmons and Philadelphia. Right now, it's quiet. You know, we know it's broken. We know that relationship is broken. We know where it's where it's going to end up. But in terms of finances, are we going to see Philly suspend him for for not reporting? Because it gets really expensive really fast. Yeah, I think so. If if he's not moved, of course, but before then. I think that remains now. I think they had, I don't think, I know they had hope that all right, we can move past this. We didn't find the deal we want, but he'll still come in and we'll all be okay and we'll be able to move along. Now I think they realize that's not happening. This this is is done. It's not repairable. He's got to go. So I think they're going to do everything they can to move him because the last thing they want to have is on media day, whatever form or fashion that takes, every player, coach, staffer who comes to the mic is going to be immediately asked about Ben Simmons. And they can do their best to do a, team statement before and say we're not going to ask answer any questions or anything like that but they're still going to get asked because no nobody has to follow those they they can ask and then then what's going to happen is eventually someone's going to pop off maybe joel Embiid, who's you know very friendly with the media and tends to say what's on his mind you don't want that you just you, that's not how you want to start your year the challenge that's coming in now is we're we're not there it's not a regular season trade yet but when you're moving 33 million, it's always easier to move when you've got teams with cap space, teams with a whole bunch of roster spots open, all sorts of things like that. That's why those big numbers generally get moved either for another big number or they get moved in the offseason because you have the additional roster spots and all those kind of things. It's getting a little more difficult now. And then I think what, what makes it really difficult, which is the most important thing for Philadelphia is – there's just not – no one's offering the four first-round picks and good young players and all this other stuff that that they want. That may lead them to a team like Cleveland where Cleveland says, hey, you know what, we'll give you a bunch of uh, draft picks because we can't get a guy like Simmons no matter what. We'll give you uh, uh, Colin Sexton, uh, but you have to take on – you know." Uh, Jetty Osman, and we have to pile up some salaries to get there, or something along those lines. Or you know what, you got to take Kevin Love, or we're going to work on routing Kevin Love to a third team with you, so that that's our salary match in this trade, or something along those lines. Because that's that's what happens when you have a guy like Simmons who makes thirty three million dollars. That's what's tough. And then if it does drag out, I do think they're going to suspend him. I think they're going to find him the max, and and they're going to go. You know, the way it did, it never quite got there with James Harden last year, right. even though it looked like it might. But I think this one may get there because I don't think uh, Simmons and Clutch Sports are going to are gonna bend at the last minute and say, all right, you know what, we're going to show up. I think they're going to hold tight and say, you know what, we're not common. Get this trade done and get them out So of let there. me hop in on that because, you know, I'm bringing my NFL hat to this conversation now, Keith. 
this happens every off season. There's some player yep. who, who's, you know, they call them hold ins now, by the way, <laughs> because, <laughs> because the new CBA basically made it impossible from a financial, from a contractual standpoint for these guys to actually hold out. If they just stand there on the sideline at a practice, they're technically legal. You know, they're following contracts. So that's not going to be the case here. If it, if the trade doesn't happen in the next two weeks or so, we're going to get to a point where, the the CBA allows Philadelphia to suspend him, which then they can start to forfeit basically what one one forty fifth of his salary, which is like two hundred grand. They can also start to fine him per practice missed, and and Bobby Marks has a good breakdown on this specifically. The payment structure of his his salary this year is very interesting, and we have the situation with uh, Trevor Bauer in Major League Baseball that I did some work on. It, uh, a quarter of his payment was paid on July 1st in terms of Ben Simmons. Another quarter is paid on October 1st, which is right yeah. around this, this timeline, right? So if, if the suspension hits and that payment is due, that's money that Philadelphia can withhold. That's one side yeah. of it, right? That's Philadelphia taking the all-in approach. But is that approach the right move for them right now, knowing they're trying to trade this guy? Aren't you torching your value by doing this, essentially, and torching your reputation with other superstars? Yeah, I, I think I think there's a couple of things at work here is I think your hope if you're Philadelphia is everybody realizes this is a very unique situation where this is a young player under a max contract and it's just not working and he doesn't want to be there, but we're struggling to find. So I think they're hoping if if they wanted to get involved in Bradley Beal or Zach Levine next offseason, that those guys aren't going to hold it against uh, Philly because of that. Now, one thing you do run the risk of is do you end your relationship with Clutch almost altogether? Now, there was some reporting that that they wanted Tyrese Maxey moved, Clutch did, and and those things, and that kind of came back saying, well, wait a minute, that's not a thing. Let's, let's not go crazy here. So I think everybody's being smart today, two weeks out, just uh, being uh, let's be reasonable here. But yeah, the, the minute you log in and the check isn't in your bank account, like most people, there's going to start to be a whole other set of feelings that come around with that. And I think what you're going to see at that point is you're going to have Ben Simmons kind of looking at it and saying, hey, well, what are we doing here? And then that's when he's going to have questions for his representation that they're going to have to answer. We're going to have to really start to go down a different path. Another thing that's interesting with Philadelphia, just as kind of an aside here, they only have 14 players under standard contracts right now, which is a little odd uh, at this point, only two weeks out from training camp, because generally you're starting to fill out your camp deals. You're getting your guys in there because players are going to start showing up really this week. And by the end of this week, everyone's going to be in town. They're going to be doing informal workouts, playing pickup and all that sort of stuff at the facility. Philly's kind of in a holding pattern here. They, they they haven't even signed their their second round pick that they paid $2 million uh, to buy the pick for Charles Bassey because right now they're trying to say, hey, take a one-year non-guaranteed deal and go. And he's like, I want more money than that. So a lot of things are being held up all around with Philadelphia because of the Ben Simmons situation. And they're just going to have to figure that out somehow. And that's where I think if you're Simmons and Clutch, it's – it's going to hurt you potentially, but I think you're looking at it and saying, you know what? We don't want to be there anyway. He's made enough money that taking a hit here and some fines and things like that, that'll get sorted out. We'll, we'll figure that out later, but 
we're going to hold tight because it's going to hurt Philly a lot more to have this incomplete roster, know what it looks like, than it is going to hurt Ben Simmons. It's a little Aaron Rodgersy, isn't it? <laughs> Everybody's yeah. getting hurt by this right now. You just got to get something done. That's why I've kind of changed my tune. I think this, this, a simple trade to Cleveland is, is what happens here because they, they'll just do it. Cleveland will just do it. They're not thinking about it right now as many, as much as the other teams are in specifics. Scott, where's he going? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say one quick thing. The other team I, I would not uh, oh. take off the list is Minnesota. They, yeah. they would love to have him. They they just need help to make that happen. And that could be one where you see this morph into a three or four team deal. Because mm-hmm. uh, we've seen these teams, like like I think about the Pacers jumping in on that uh, James Harden trade last year when they really had kind of no business jumping in there and they stole Karis LeVert right. uh, in that trade uh, just, just for kind of helping being a facilitator a little bit. You agree, Scott? Is Minnesota still up there for you? Yeah, uh, that, like you said, Cleveland. The other thing I'll jump on, and if Keith wasn't going to say it, I was going to bring it up, is the 14 roster. Now's the time to make a trade if you're going to bring back extra players because you have that roster expansion until the regular season hits. So if you're going to bring back extra guys and then waive them just to make the trade work, Now's the time to do it because as soon as the season starts, your roster size is only 15. And then the the other aspect I'll add to that is if we do get to the regular season and they do start suspending him, there is no luxury tax um, reduction from his salary because the team would be suspending him as opposed to the league suspending him. So that could play into it a little bit, but you know, it's just another financial aspect to throw on top of it. Good stuff, yeah, guys. I, I will be mildly shocked if he's not traded yeah. within the next two weeks. I will be extremely shocked if he's a member of Philadelphia a month from now when the regular season opens. Yeah, it seems impossible. I mean, the the, the trade value has already got to be gone at this point. That's why I'm saying one of these smaller market teams is probably going to win the day here because you're not getting Halliburton in this deal. You know what I mean? It's just not happening nope. right now. We're, we're way past <laughs> yeah. that point. Yep. Agreed. He's at Keith Smith MBA on Twitter. He's a great follow. He's a great writer. It's a good part of our process here, Scott. Good stuff, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. My thanks to Keith Smith, to Kurt Bodenhouse. Please follow all of them on Twitter. Please read them all at Track and at Sportico. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off. And of course, balancedbridge.com. Get yourself financially supported and invested against guaranteed future earnings. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. 